Before I start, I have a big announcement. Mark your calendars for next Sunday, January 8th. We are going to be doing a special Vision Sunday announcement. And on Vision Sunday, Vision Sunday, we are going to be sharing about what we believe God is calling this church body to in the future. And we've been hearing the Holy Spirit speaking on a variety of related topics to leadership, but also to on all levels, leadership and volunteers and non-leaders and every place in the church. And so we're really excited to share this with you. Van and Lori and myself and Wilson and Jordan are going to be up to talk about it. You don't want to miss it. Be here next Sunday for Vision Sunday. With that said, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 4 and talking about it today. The title of my message is The Healing Ministry of Jesus. And this is an important topic because the ministry of healing, which Jesus did all the time, in fact, in case you didn't know, 25% of the content of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are exclusively dedicated to Jesus healing people. So healing was a big deal to, for Jesus. But Jesus' expectation wasn't just that we would know that he healed in ancient days and be inspired from that, but that we would actually continue that ministry of Jesus, that the body of Christ would continue the ministry of healing. And when I say the body of Christ, I really hope you don't think, oh, so that means that churches need to make sure that they are doing healing ministries that church attendees can be a part of. Yes, we should be doing those things. We have some great ones here at this church. But the ministry of healing is for the whole body of Christ to participate in on a daily basis. Not just the staff, not just the leaders, all of us. We have been assigned the ministry of healing. You, specifically you, have been assigned to be a part of that. And maybe some of you know that, you've done it. I think this morning what God wants to do is re-inspire you to engage with that ministry. Others of you, you might be like, I would have no clue where to start in praying for someone to be healed and in, in participating in Jesus' healing ministry. And we have tons of resources here at this church to train you in that, Cincinnati School of Supernatural Ministry and others. But also, I just want to tell you, it is so much simpler than you probably think it is. It is so much simpler. Really, read what Jesus did and go do it yourself. <laughs> and as with any ministry that we've been assigned to partake in, our culture gives us unique advantages to engaging with that ministry but also disadvantages. And by our culture, I mean specifically our American culture. This would be true for any culture in the world, but with our American culture, we have both advantages in understanding what this ministry of healing looks like from our culture, but also there's ways that our culture hinders it. And one of those aspects of our culture that both helps our Understanding of the Bible and hinders our understanding of the Bible at the same time is the individualism of America, and really the West, but especially of America. 
our individualism does give us some, make some things make a little bit more sense. So I've traveled to Africa a few times, and one of the hardest things to do when you're ministering to people in Africa is to convince them that, like, you as an individual have the Holy Spirit in you and can do all the stuff that you, all the prophets and men of power that you admire can do. It's a much more communal, less individualistic culture, and so thereby individuals have a harder time grasping the, the idea that the Holy Spirit lives in me, not us, but me. And so in America, we don't have that obstacle. We, pretty under, we understand that pretty well. Oh yeah, Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm a powerful individual. I can do a great and amazing things. But our individualism, it also harms our ability to understand the ministry of Jesus. You see, we love ministries that we can do ourselves. We dislike ones that require community in America. We like it that we can go and pray for an individual and see them healed. That is great. It's something I can do. I don't need any of y'all to do that. In fact, why don't you just stay away from me? You annoy me. You bother me. You know, I would really be a better Christian if it just weren't for the church. (laughs) So I'm going to do this thing by myself. So we love that. We love the kinds of disciplines and ministries that we can do alone. And so physical healing comes pretty easily to the charismatic evangelical church. Then you start talking about stuff like inner healing or emotional healing, and we still like it because, yeah, you can still do that one-on-one, but really a person experiencing healing in their emotions and in their mind is much better done in community than just with an individual one-on-one. And then when you start talking about a broader idea of societal healing, of people coming out of poverty, of marginalized people walking into freedom in society and, and experiencing the justice of God, that can be a lot more foreign. I know I'm making generalizations, but that can be a lot more foreign to the charismatic evangelical church because you literally cannot do that alone. You cannot, you cannot enact the ministry of justice that Jesus wants to enact as a one individual. It requires a community of justice-minded people to do that. And so all of that is what Jesus meant when he said, heal the sick. Not just bodies, not just minds and emotions. Yes, those things. Be passionate about seeking healing for people in those things. But he was also talking about, um, he was speaking in a much broader scope. And we're going to explore that in Matthew 8, 1 through 4 this morning. So with that said, let's read the passage. This is Jesus healing the man with leprosy. Okay. Matthew 8. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. 
And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. First thing that I want to point out about Matthew chapter 8 is that if you were to read the same story in the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of Luke, which by the way, if you didn't know, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are, are a lot of stories that are repeated. And you can read about them and learn different details about them depending upon which gospel account you're focused on. So in Luke and Mark's rendition of this story, it comes in a completely different order than in Matthew's. The chronology is totally different. And the reason for that is that Matthew, the author of Matthew, he took more of a topical approach to constructing his gospel narrative than he did a strict chronological one. And this is what a commentator I read was getting at when he said, when we compare the events of this chapter with the record of Mark or Luke, we find different order in chronology. Carson, along with others, claims that Matthew arranged his material here according to topics and themes, not according to chronology. Matthew does not purport to follow anything other than a topical arrangement, and most of his time indicators are very loose. So topically based, not chronologically based. And how we can see this is if you read Matthew 4, 23, this comes four chapters earlier than where we are now. Matthew, as Jesus comes out of his temptation in the desert, with the devil, and he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Matthew kind of gives this summary statement about Jesus' ministry. And he said, Jesus was going about in all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, everyone say teaching, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, say proclaiming, and healing every disease and every sickness among the people, say healing. Those are the big topics for Matthew about the ministry of Jesus teaching and preaching, or teaching and proclaiming, and healing. And so it's not surprising then that right after Matthew writes this in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is all about the teaching and preaching ministry of Jesus. It's like his main message. And in the Gospel of Luke, it comes in a different order, but Matthew wasn't concerned about following strict chronology. He was more concerned about giving you one topic first and then another topic. And so Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is all about the teaching and the preaching of Jesus. Then we get here to Matthew chapter 8, and Jesus switches to healing, which would make sense with Matthew's statement earlier, teaching, preaching, healing. Makes sense topical, not chronological. Now you might be thinking, well, isn't that kind of misleading? Like, are you saying the Bible is inaccurate? Is it an error? And I understand why you might ask that question, but to these ancient readers, that would have been a question that would have made no sense. It would have made no sense to say that unless you follow a strict chronology, you're not being accurate. It's kind of like for us, there are a lot of shows out now where there are a series of flashbacks that occur during the show. I was watching one recently, you're watching in real time, and all of a sudden, you know, you see you do a close-up on one person's face or usually making some dramatic expression. Go back, 
40 years and you're, you, you get to watch a, a flashback. You get to watch a scene of, of them from 40 years ago. And in, this, in that same kind of way, we're not, those shows aren't following a strict chronology. If they were, they would do all the flashbacks first and then do the modern day. Do you see what I'm saying? But we wouldn't, we wouldn't look at that show and be like, wow, what an inaccurate portrayal of the story. In the same kind of way, the way the gospel writers wrote, if they decided they wanted to organize around topic rather than strict chronology, it wasn't something that would have been viewed as inaccurate or bending the truth or anything. And so I tell you that just so you understand that, but also critics of the Bible oftentimes will say things like, well, if you read the gospel accounts, they all are in different orders, and it just shows that it was written by men, and that just shows that it's errored. And yes, they were written by men, but it doesn't show that it was errored because it was a normal practice in ancient, uh, the literary practice of the ancient day. So, we read about the teaching and preaching ministry of Jesus, and now we're at the healing ministry of Jesus. And that's really important for another reason. You see, this is the first account of a specific healing that we read about in the Gospel of Matthew. We've read earlier that he healed many who were sick, but we never got to see a specific healing example until now in Matthew chapter 8. That, combined with the fact that Matthew arranged his letter topically, tells us that this particular healing that we're going to focus in on was prototypical for the healing ministry of Jesus in general. Meaning, the values and the priorities that we see in how Jesus healed the leper should inform us as to what the values and priorities of his overall healing ministry was. And therefore, the values and the priorities that we should have It's a prototypical example. If we are serious about continuing in the ministry of healing that Jesus gave us, we will be very wise to continually come back to this particular example and the few that follow it that we'll get into in following weeks that give us kind of like the overall heart and values and priorities of Jesus' healing ministry. So with that said, let's take a deeper look at it. We read initially that large crowds followed Jesus. And so in today's world, if you want to follow someone, that means you follow their social media page. And you can follow a bunch of different people all at the same time that you want to be influenced from. You know, this is a new career that exists now in the world, social media influencer. And it's not that hard, really. My sister-in-law has become a social media influencer on accident. It's just something that's happening in our current world. And so you can have multiple different social media influencers that you follow. But back in Jesus' day, you could have one that you followed. And by follow, you don't mean you click something on your screen. You literally walk around with them and follow them. And so Jesus had, it says large crowds were following him. What does that mean? That means like hundreds, probably more like thousands of people are following Jesus, just walking, just walking wherever he goes, competing to try to get to the front of the pack so they can hear what he's saying, they can hear the conversation that he's having with the 12, so they can make sure they see the next miracle that he performs. So he's got all these followers, and then comes 
this man with leprosy who begs to get Jesus' attention to heal him. And how we need to understand that is like, there are probably hundreds of people trying to get Jesus' attention to, for some reason or another, to answer a question, to get them to get him to do something for them. But Jesus notices this one man with leprosy. And what it tells us is that the ministry of healing is fundamentally personal. It's not a ministry that is done primarily to crowds, although it is done to crowds. Jesus does heal crowds. But it's a fundamentally personal ministry. Healing is me to you. It's, it's, a, um, it's, a, it's done to the one. And the reason that's significant is that you might follow Christian leaders and there might be Christian men and women that you look up to, again, probably on social media or something, and, and they're doing ministry to large crowds of people, either physical crowds at events or you know, crowds on social media, and we can begin to think, wow, they're really doing what God has called them to do. I'm just meeting with this one person for coffee once a week. I'm really not doing a significant ministry in the kingdom. No, the one person for coffee during the week is the fundamental model for the ministry of the kingdom. The crowds, that, is, that's, that should happen, and it's good that that happens, but the one-on-one, the personal, the me-to-you is, is paramount. And even, you know, our beloved Micah Turnbow here, who's got crowds of people that follow him on social media, if you knew Micah, you would know that during his week, he's having lunch with people, mentoring them one-on-one, taking people out and doing evangelism with them.